Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. ABTV buddies, my podcast listening was beginning to seem a lot like work. I was listening to comedy podcasts to get better at comedy, and I was listening to podcasting podcasts to get better at podcasting, and it was just getting to be a chore. Fortunately, I found Why Do We Say That with father and son hosts Scott and Liam Kelly. Why Do We Say That is a fun podcast where we learn where common words and phrases originated. It's entertaining and educational, kids. So, for instance, you may learn why we say paint the town red or rule of thumb, which is cool, and it may help you at trivia night. My favorite thing about why do we say that, though, is the interaction between Scott and Liam. It's really funny how they talk to each other, especially when Liam brings up stuff that just totally befuddles Scott. Scott just doesn't know how to handle it, and it's great, just like when I talk to my son. The show ends with word or not a word where they bring on two contestants that have to guess if the word spoken is an actual word or not. And then they get to spell some impossible words. So it's it's nice. It's education. I like it. Why do we say that is just a lot of fun. And Scott and Liam do an excellent job with it. So check it out wherever you find podcasts. Hey, BTV buddies, if you know me, you know I was a smoker. I started when I was 12, and I've partaken in the nicotine in some fashion ever since. I even vaped. I'm not proud of that. Anyway, I found something new that is helping me with my nicotine cravings as well as my food cravings. It's called Fume, spelled F-U-M with a cool accent over the U. Immediately, it made an impact on me. Fume is a number one natural way to quit smoking. Fume takes... Super plants, behavioral science, and beautiful design in their wooden inhaler and puts aromatherapy right in your pocket. So I'm digging the black peppercorns right now because they curb my nicotine appetite. Check out the Fume site and take their quiz to find out which cores are best for you. Cores are the essential oil-infused thingies you put into the wood inhaler. They're, they've already got the right amount of essential oils and they're ready to go. And they also last a really long time. They, uh, I've had a few in for several days, and they're doing good. Where do I find Fume, you say? Well, go right to breathefume.com forward slash BTB. And that's breathe, the word breathe, and F-U-M, no E, breathe, F-U-M, dot com forward slash BTB. Take that quiz. When you place the order, use a promo code BTB to get 10% off your first order. Did I tell you the fume guys are Canadian? They are very polite. If you're trying to quit smoking, get the Quit Naturally pack and take the quiz so you can do everything from just relaxing to getting rid of a headache. Like I said, take the quiz. That's the third time I've told you now. Take the quiz and then browse all their flavors to make your own variety pack. That's breathefume.com forward slash BTB and use the code BTB for a 10% discount. I'm really excited to have Liz on. Liz Mele is originally from New Jersey. She started stand-up when she was 16 and has done everything on her own, which I think is really cool. She's really made her own way through comedy, and her appearances on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me are fantastic. Her uh, uh, last special was just fantastic. All of her albums are great, and I'm just really stoked to uh, be able to talk to her about a few things that I think we have in common. So I'm going to bring Liz up right now. Liz! Thanks. I'm going to move you over here so that uh, it makes me more comfortable. I got to pull up your last 
there was there was a uh, joke on there. Well, I'm I'm gonna I, I remember the joke because I just listened to it. Um, but your last special that you did that came out in uh, 2020, right? It came out towards the end of 2020. You've got this joke that runs into a bit that I identified with so much because I just feel like we're uh, there, we have a lot in common, but it's about the lady with the greeting card. And, uh, <laughs> and I am so much the same way. So first of all, I, I kind of told you when we started, when I talked to you for 25 seconds before we started that I don't do small talk. And I, I think you're probably uh, the same and that I feel like we all have enough going on in our life that we don't need the long version of anything. And we also don't need to jump into other people's lives. That joke just hit me really well as far as uh, understanding where you're coming from. Have you experienced, like, I remember two things happening as I've gotten older. One is learning the labels to things that I was dealing with or problems that I had and having this like aha moment where I, I, I felt less like a freak and more like somebody that has an issue, you yeah. know, whether it's, you know, finding out that I had a generalized anxiety disorder or that I came from an abusive home and that I had to deal with, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like things where I'm like, yeah, that did seem weird or, oh, this does suck. And like, there's a label to it and there's something freeing mm -hmm. about knowing it's not you it's this thing or it's not you it's this thing that happened mm -hmm. to you so that's the first thing and then the second thing is i didn't know there were words or labels for how people kind of treated you so my example is maybe four years ago i was on tour with my buddy hurry kundabolu mm -hmm. and we went and got a drink after our show with a friend of his that wrote a book or was writing a book about emotional labor Mm -hmm. never heard that term in my life and i was like oh what is emotional labor i thought it had something to do with pregnancy i was like i don't know you give birth is it about babies mm -hmm. she's like no it's it's something actually very common actually to women but there's also professions but it's about um this belief that or it, maybe not we'll start with what it actually is emotional labor is the work that you take on when um, you deal with other people's problems. Mm -hmm. So if we were married, I might come home from work and talk about how my boss was a dick and I had the worst day. And you're taking on the emotional, that's emotional labor. You're mm -hmm. listening to my day, how I felt. And that's what you do for people that you love. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But then as a woman, often we are presented with 10 times more emotional labor mm -hmm. because it's believed that we're caretakers. And I have spent my whole life like literally holding people up emotionally mm -hmm. and I've been exhausted. And now that I understand it, now that I'm starting to set boundaries when it happens, like before I was just angry, but it, it's like, I'm used to it. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I don't fucking know. And I just lose my goddamn mind. Yeah. And luckily I've also been in enough therapy that I didn't yell at this woman. But in my mind, I was like angry at like a level 10. Yeah. And then as soon as she left, I was laughing yeah. at like a level 10 yeah. because I could see it all so clearly of why I was pissed, why it's not okay, and why this is relatable. Right, right. And the funny thing is, is there is a self-absorption. I really got that one. And it was something that, that I didn't really consciously understand until you actually said it. Everything you said and the self-made, and then I listened to the one before that you did in 2017. I can't remember the name of it, but I listened to that too. But things like... Um, Do you mean uh, self-help me? When you say yeah. That? Okay. Self-help me, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm sorry. I, I, I lose names all the time. I'm, okay. But uh, floor, floor drugs, floor pills. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned... I mean, that is my childhood just encapsulated and uh, nice word nice pun there but i dug that and the fact that you 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 overcame that and really just kind of i don't want to say overcame it you kind of moved on from that fairly early in life what was it that you know it could have been a problem for you like a real problem and you ended up just moving on from it was it were you bored with it or did you did you decide early on that you know drug abuse could uh, potentially be something that is an issue in your life honestly i 
I, I got into it because I was extremely unhappy. Like I was deeply depressed and, um, you know, didn't really see a purpose in life and, and um, did what I was supposed to do. I went to school. I got good grades. I took care of my siblings. I did what my parents told me to do. And I just felt so much responsibility and so much pressure and felt so scared and um, unseen that it was a break. Drugs and alcohol were a break from this life that I didn't understand. And I didn't, and like every, you know, I was in middle school and high school and I was so overwhelmed and had so much that I was responsible for to the point where when I went to college and I had to just do my own laundry like uh -huh. and wash my own dishes and make my own dinner it was like what else do i do with my time like it was like uh -huh. like i don't think people really understood and like my mom was on a podcast with me it was just like like don't tell your mother and i told a story about something that happened in high school that she didn't know about and we're close now but she said something at the end of the podcast where she was just like they asked like what was so great about liz when she was younger she was like she was always there she helped me out so much and she pretty much raised her brothers and I don't know what I would have done without her. And it was just, it was really kind because me and my mom have never openly talked about that time. Mm -hmm. But while I did do a lot, I was from like nine to 18, I, I was a part-time mom and mm -hmm. I don't, I can see that now, but I, I needed a break and drugs were a break and drug and I didn't realize I had anxiety. Like I did gymnastics until I was 14 and I quit because I, I it was too much and I, I couldn't handle it. And now, you know, years later, 10 years later, I found out I was having panic attacks while on the balance huh. beam and, and all these things that I didn't understand was anxiety and, and, and panic attacks. So it, weed made me feel calm and made me feel like I'd be okay. Alcohol made the anxiety go away. Pharmaceuticals just were something to focus on or, or be excited about or do or experiment. Like I had very little joy. What I think helped was when I discovered stand-up, A, just watching stand-up, I loved it. It made me so happy. We are very we're a dark family, but we're a very funny family. And, you know, I could make my mom laugh and it would completely change her disposition. And I could make my brothers laugh and they would listen to me better. And like, mm -hmm. just humor alone made the day bearable, made my life bearable, made me literally internally feel better because I think we all know the like endorphins and dopamine that gets released with laughter. But mm -hmm. then writing stand-up, performing stand-up, having this thing that I loved and wanted to do and having a drive and having a goal and having a dream just took me, I don't think I, I really don't think I stopped being depressed until I was probably 28, but mm -hmm. it just, it gave me a purpose. And honestly, as cheesy as it sounds, I think comedy is the thing, is, is the reason I don't do drugs or, or, mm -hmm. or drink anymore. Like I quit I was smoking cigarettes. I quit those first. I quit those when I was 17. And uh -huh. then um, then I quit, um, I think I quit alcohol first. I can't remember. I just stopped drinking at parties because that prevented me from driving to gigs and I wanted to go do gigs. Uh -huh. And then um, weed was always hard to get. Weed was the thing that I liked and it was harder to get. And pharmaceuticals were clearly like random. And I just stopped really going to those parties. So since I stopped going to those parties because I was doing stand-up, I just kind of pulled mm. myself away from that. And then when I went to college, I really didn't do anything. I didn't start smoking weed again until um, I became a waitress. And it, I, and then my anxiety came way back. I remember mm. I lived like two blocks from this place that I was a waitress at. And I would come home and I, I, I couldn't relax. I was like, oh, my God, did I ever get that woman her salad? Like, I just, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. Like, I was just, so it's funny, like. Drugs has always been a thing to kind of help me just put my brain on a shelf. Yeah. And now I have panic attacks on everything. Like I stopped drinking again. And I never was like, when I was younger, I did things pretty hard. But when I went back to it in my teens and stuff, I never, I never felt like I had a problem. But um, 
I stopped drinking because I had stomach issues. I stopped smoking. Weed was like, again, the last thing I enjoyed. And I stopped doing that because I started having panic attacks and it just wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yep. it, it, it sounds really cheesy, but I, I really feel like having a purpose and having comedy is the reason I'm okay. Yeah. It's, it's so funny that you are, um, man, I'm echoing here. Uh, stop the echo. It's so funny that you, it seems like you quit things at the same time as me, but mine was for different. You started at the same time too, junior high. Yeah. And, and mine, I, I met my wife. I, I've been with my wife for 38 years and, uh, I met her and I was fully immersed. It was like, it was like a hundred percent. Scott does every drug that could be found or given to him and drinks all the time and stuff like that. And my then uh, date said, you know, I really don't like that. And I just quit everything cold turkey. It was just like, okay, I, yeah. I, I don't need it. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, but now, you know, I'm still, I, I'm a social drinker, but you know, I'm not, I don't like, I, I, I can have a beer. Um, rather than have 17 of them or whatever. So it's, it's funny that, that uh, you know, the, the timeline is similar, um, but uh, it's also very telling that, you, you, you know, you started comedy when you were 16, and it feels like to me that I can't see you doing anything else. <laughs> um, and, and you went to college, Joe, and, and you went – you, you went through the motions and still did comedy while you were in college and all that. But can you see yourself doing anything else? I have no skills. I don't even know if I could. I mean, um, I, I can now with the skills I built up both in stand up and in um, the business aspect of mm-hmm. comedy, see where I have abilities and talent and, I mean, I'm everybody's manager. Like I just, I'm right. always helping my friends write emails and how to pitch things and best way to negotiate money and stuff like that. So I'm, I, and that's what I've done for myself. So, you know, if the creative part of me wasn't passionate and I didn't love this, I can see the business side of me liking helping people and knowing, mm-hmm. having an, uh, uh, an innate ability to, um, see what's great about other people's talents and put that to the forefront. And so I really like the creative business aspect of comedy. And of course I'm passionate about what I do. So I have a good motivator, but that's the same way I, you know, I think what my friends do is amazing and I want to help them. So I see like management on some side of if I never got into comedy or I just like creative ideas and I like, like, um, you know, you had your sponsor at the beginning of this, you know, my podcast has sponsors. Um, I've had, I've done corporate gigs and stuff like that. I like um, that mad men quality that, that kind of ad sense yeah. of how do you, how do you make the people know that this, this is what they need. And I feel like the same way that I have to convince people that my problems are like, see my problems from, from, my perspective and be on my side even if they don't agree they're still on my side they still stay for the whole journey i think the same thing can be said for advertising so whether you need these paper towels or not i'm going to tell you why we have the best paper towels and even if you don't need these paper towels someone in your life needs these paper towels and that's how i feel with my story you might not relate to being annoyed about a woman sharing about her mother's death in a line Mm -hmm. that might not bother you but I'm going to tell you why it bothers me and why you should be on my side on this. You know, and that's, so I think this kind of um, storytelling is a, is a part of advertisement, but this kind of knowing everybody's perspective and bringing it all together to get a purpose is I, there's something in me that just knows how to do that or has built Mm -hmm. up that skill. And stand up is marketing. You're just marketing yourself. Yeah. Marketing my crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very simple. Now you talked about, I think it was it was early in the show when I was listening to the guys talk to you. You talked about uh, um, life at home not being 
great um and that uh a lot of that gave you the anger and the just emotional being broken down to want to put that into words and get that out so you start you talk about therapy but it was a long time before you sought out therapy do you feel like what you did on stage uh created uh some sort of therapy for you or did it make it worse in some ways um there's therapeutic aspects of comedy absolutely i think there's something and you can kind of see it with social media now if you go on mm -hmm. facebook it's a lot of people telling you their, their opinions sharing about their day venting mm -hmm. about something that happened at work being passive aggressive to people that are also on the network um which it seems like one of you are having connection issues with i don't know if that's me or you i think we're good yeah okay. i think it's a bad but, but Facebook has kind of shown you that uh, people are trying to express themselves, maybe not in the best way. And I'm, you know, I'm not an advocate of putting every thought and feeling you have on Facebook. Um, mm. But I think what comedy did for me is let me know that I had opinions because I really felt so shut down and I was in a very much uh, speak when spoken to kind of upbringing that it allowed me to find how I felt about things, find myself, um, it, and in doing that, express how I actually felt because I wasn't even connected to myself in that way. Mm -hmm. See the reaction of other people and feel less alone. And that is such a good beginning to healing. I don't think it's the end all be all. I don't think it's the only thing you should do. I think the same way that like, let's say I vented to you about my day. I'm like, ah, this happened. And this guy fucking did this. That's that could cause some relief for me because I'm mm -hmm. taking all this anger and I have a place to put it and it's not just bottled up inside. But if I do nothing with it, with it, if I don't understand why this made me so irrationally angry, or if I don't see why this uh, feeling of um, not being in power is a, a common theme that keeps coming up and why it, it's so important to me or so much uh, debilitating for me, then I'm just going to keep having the same problems and you keep venting and it gets becomes less and less productive. So mm -hmm. I think in, in the beginning, just knowing my opinions, knowing my ideas and voicing them and having people laugh or feel connected to it back was extremely um, rewarding and helped me feel confident enough to get to the next level. But eventually it becomes the law of diminishing returns and less and less does it feel good and less and less does it feel healing. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think um, connecting with friends, because I think the closer you are to somebody, the, the more um, they can either say something to you and or just understand you. But then therapy and if, if need be uh, um, medication is, is are the next kind of routes. And mm -hmm. I can honestly say that I didn't like myself and I wasn't in a good place until therapy. And it took years of therapy to even work through a lot of my issues. And I was just talking to my little brother about it cause he just started therapy, but I was like, it sucked and it was hard and it can still be hard at times, but I am a shadow of the person I was before and I like who I am and I couldn't have mm -hmm. done that without therapy. Were you worried that uh, taking care of your anxiety and your depression, you know, getting getting a handle on that would make you a um, weaker comedian? Absolutely. I think that's the stereotype that healthy people aren't funny. But um, I think it's something that Gary Goldman said, um, either in his special The Great Depression or in an interview about The Great Depression. But... Hmm. At some point, or even um, uh, uh, Gethard, um, why can't I think of his name? Chris. Chris Gethard, thank you. Yeah. I think they both made different points to say, yeah, but if I'm not here, if I'm, if I'm, if I can't get out of bed, I can't do comedy. And mm -hmm. I think, I think at some point, we all hit this wall where, yes, my neuroses or my issues might be funny, but at some point they become detrimental, and that's why we have 
in comedy the highest suicide rate and the highest drug overdose rate. You know what I mean? Like if right. you look, if you listed how every comic died in the last 50 years, it's overdoses and suicide. It's, mm -hmm. it's insane. So, you know, it's tragic and it's not, and maybe that might be what gets you in, but what keeps you around is, is, is taking care of yourself. And so I don't feel less funny getting help. If anything, I feel like I have an even more unique perspective and I, you know, I still have anxiety. I still sometimes deal with, um, depression. I still have my anger issues clearly, but I handle them better. I like how I handle them better and I understand them better. So maybe I'm not completely reacting the way I used to, but I'm, I'm also, um, coming from a different perspective when I tell my jokes and maybe I have a different audience because of that. I don't know, but you know, my first album I made eight or nine years ago, and my last album was a year ago. And those are two different people that made that. And my fans yeah. are watching both of them. And, and my, my, there's definitely a lot of differences in them. But at the end of the day, I could tell you the flat out difference is that I like my, I like myself now. Mm -hmm. And I, and then, then I know what I'm doing as opposed to, you know, it was a girl finding her voice and finding herself that wrote the first album. And then the second album, you see a little bit more of myself. And now this is, I yell more. I'm, I'm more, um, I gesticulate more. I'm, I'm more yeah. open. And I've had people say, I liked you better when you were deadpan. And now, and that's like somebody saying, I liked you better when you couldn't get out of bed. Like, yeah. I don't want to tell you, I don't, I don't need that fan. <laughs> and, and that's okay. If you related to me, if you're depressed and you related to depressed Liz, that's totally fine. There's, there's a place for that. And that's why it was recorded and put it out in the earth. I, yeah. I people love that. Uh, that album and I, I put it on YouTube and that makes me so happy, but I'm not her anymore. And I don't ever right. want to be her again, both in the sense that I was 27 or 28 and, and deeply, deeply depressed. Um, so you make art, but you also have to grow. And I think that's the same as a person. I, I don't ever want to be in my twenties again, ever. Mm -hmm. There's not enough money in the world to make me go back. Yeah. And especially teenagers, there's, you know what I mean? So to me, I do. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm, I'm pushing closer to 40 and, and, you know, who knows who I'm going to, I, you know, my goal is just to not be bitter. Like there's, mm -hmm. that's the other, you know what I mean? Like you go too far in each direction or, mm -hmm. or be a dick. I don't want to ever be an unrelatable asshole either. Mm -hmm. So I think to me, I, I, I just want to get healthier. And if I lose fans because of it, or people don't feel as relatable, I feel bad for them. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Go get help. Right. I like to, as far as comedy albums are concerned, I like to compare them to like musical albums. So in some groups in some musical groups, their best album is their first album and nothing else compares. The second album is just the stuff that they, uh, had left over from the first album and the third album they're trying to reinvent themselves and it doesn't work and it, it goes on and on in some musical groups they get better as they go on like you know like the beatles they got better as they went on the who got better as they went on the kinks so you know on and on and on and some comedians it's the same way some comedians their first album is their best and they never get any better but then you look at somebody like george carlin you look at his first stuff and it's it's really good. It's funny, but it's not near as good as the last album you put out. And with yours, I, I, I feel the same way. And um, I think that you, I think that when you get control, I, I don't ever want to say that you overcome depression and anxiety because it's almost like alcoholism. It's always there. You just have different ways to deal with it. And when you understand how you might have reacted uh, because the old you is still there, even though you've gone past that. But when you understand how you might have reacted and put that in contrast with how you reacted, I think that gives you the greeting card uh, bit because you couldn't have written that when you were in your 20s because yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have been able to grasp the notion of, hey, I really don't want to talk to this person. I want to look at my phone, but I'm not going to blow up at her because I know she's going through shit too. 
you know, so yes. So yeah, I, 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 I can dig that. And I really, I, I feel the same because I've gone, gone through some similar things, but uh, I started comedy super late and I feel like if I would have started really early, you know, it just would have been, it would have been awful. I would have been like the next river Phoenix or something like that. And just, just, uh, it, I, I would have been a footnote. So, yeah, but I, uh, I, I really respect the way that you can look at these things from the younger perspective and then put the, uh, the current more healthy perspective, uh, spin on it. So that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I noticed something about your delivery during uh, an entire album or special that seems it seems to flow throughout your albums, maybe except for the first one, in the you start off a little low key and you talk about uh, you, you talk about like situations and other people and things and then you start to ramp up and you get a little bit more angry as you as you ramp up and then you hit this peak where you are so mad that you're going to strangle somebody and then you bring it back down you're almost like a roller coaster do you do that on purpose do you do you see that little wave going up and down as you're putting your set together um, I always start slow. I think I remember so many different bookers and stuff being like you're low energy or you need, you know, you need to be quicker. And mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, is that I think I go into every situation just kind of knowing that I'm a tiny woman and people don't mm -hmm. know who I am. And it is overwhelming to have all, all Liz all at once. I am. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nice way people call me is a pistol. That's like the friendly way. But the truth yeah. is, is, is one of the things that I think I was really embarrassed about and now I'm slowly accepting is I, I am a lot. I'm, I have a lot of opinions. I'm, I'm uh, aggressive. Um, uh, I'm blunt. And I kind of can cut you with, with wit, whether you're talking to me in a conversation or if you're a heckler or um, even just how I put my perspective out there in a formatted joke um, but I believe that if you get to know me, you'll accept it a little bit more than if I just mm -hmm. smack you in the face with my full personality. And I don't know if that's truthful or not, but I do think they're having awareness of how people perceive me because at the end of the day, I, we all are in our bodies and mm -hmm. we can't change that. I am a, depending on how my hair is an ethnically ambiguous, tiny person. Mm -hmm. I'm a woman, which has its own, uh, people have their own belief systems about women in general, let alone women that speak their minds, let alone women that do comedy. So I've always been in a position of being acutely aware of how people are taking me in before I even open my mouth. Mm -hmm. Then I have to deal with the stereotypes of how people feel about how I talk about things. So mm -hmm. I think in general, I've just learned to ease people into me and into who I am. And then once I feel like I've won them over, I can be more myself and, and, and it's more accepted. And then just like any kind of fight, you lose steam. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're like, even when you're still mad, you're just like holding your head and you're just like, I don't get why you don't get it, but it doesn't matter anymore. Like, you're just, yeah. <laughs> so I think an hour is a really long time that I think I start slow, get to know me. I start feeling comfortable and da, 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 da. But then I'm just like, huh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I think it's a little bit of a roller coaster just because that's the nature of um, how people get to know people. But also I think the nature of a long show and I, I, I don't know if it's completely conscious, at least the, the, the middle and the end, but I also, I, I start out wanting people like kind of trying to make sure people like me and know what I'm about, be fully myself in the middle and then take bigger chances at the end because mm -hmm. I have built up this connection for the last 45, 50 minutes. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of the, the the stuff I do at the end is more of a risk because I feel like that's the only place I can put it. Right, right. 
And you are you kind of break rules as far as what uh, the professional comedians talk about as far as uh, like last per minute. You are not a um, bam, 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 last per minute type person. You have a little bit longer of a setup. I, I, I like to say that you would fit in with the UK crowds uh, and the Australian crowds very much because I talk to those types of comedians and they say that you can you can set up a joke for 20 minutes and everybody is still okay with it but you are a lean in type person so even during your setup if they're not laughing they want to know what's coming yeah uh, because your your setup is just that interesting and it really draws them in did you have trouble with that at the beginning? Uh, because did, did bookers like say, hey, get to get to the punchline quicker or anything like that? I have trouble with it now. I can't get on certain shows because I'm so long winded. But I want to be like, huh. but if the laugh equals out the end and if they're interested the whole time, why do I have to be a bump, bump, bump comedian? Yeah. So to me, I'm still frustrated by it because i've gained a fan base being who i am i've gotten stronger as a comic being who i am and i'm different than a lot of people and i think i stand out in all the right ways but tv and many of the traditional formats you know if i wanted to be on america's got talent it's 90 seconds that doesn't even make one of my jokes most of my jokes are two to three minutes so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's one of the reasons i had i've had to be more self-made it's one of the reasons i've had to um um, uh, challenge myself and do things outside the box because my format is is different. But you know, I I now consider myself a storyteller. I and and I'm not saying people don't respect storytellers. Look at you know um, uh, uh, um, Mike Birbiglia or like a Tom Segura or you know um, um, God. There's so many great storytellers. I can't think of them right now. Um, but, you know, there's there's people out there that, that take you on a journey and you accept that it's not this bump, bump, bump kind of thing because they built up trust. But, you know, or Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's a great example. And I think he even said, as long as you're interesting, you don't have to be funny. And mm-hmm. I, I try to be both. But um, I like taking people on a journey. And I think uh, I've been yelled at about it my entire career and then I just got really good at it and I never changed and I don't know if that's being stubborn or if it's because it was always who I was um you know the difference between on stage Liz and off stage Liz is on stage Liz is a lot funnier you Mm -hmm. know like you imagine you hear the same story and there was no punchline my my friends and family are (laughs) disappointed so they always get the early first draft version and it's like, ooh, that's five minutes of my life I won't get back. So A, be thankful that you're the 80th person hearing the story, but also, you know, it's as long as you get the reaction you're supposed to get, who cares how long it takes you to get there? Now, again, I do believe you have to be interesting and you have to have earned that trust, you know, I build up a trust to get there. Mm. When you watch me live, I tend to do a lot of shorter jokes in the beginning so that I earn yeah. that trust. Mm. But um, I'm I'm grateful. I don't know if it's stubbornness or 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 uh, genius, but I mm-hmm. am grateful that I didn't um, listen. Yeah, and I am too. And one of the things I notice is if I listen. To you because I listened to a lot of your stuff while I was driving um, versus watching you it's totally different yeah. um, you you uh, the way you emote even e- even when you're not emoting that much when it's it feels it feels like I'm drawn in more of what I'm watching than what I'm listening yeah. uh, just just listening uh, and I think that that is definitely something in your favor but it also um, it, it also can be a hindrance if somebody listens to you and say, well, it takes her too long to get to the punch, uh, and then they don't give you another chance. But I think when you put that when you put that whole first album on uh, YouTube, I think that that really gave you the um, the, the jump start that you needed to um, really gain those fans, and they were more patient with you. 
I, I mean, I think that's a great observation. I, I don't think I realized how much I was doing with my face. And, um, you know, I can see how I take a lot of pauses and I, I um, take my time in a lot of ways. And I can see how when you don't have the focus of what somebody's doing or, or, or even just seeing them, how that could um, disengage them in, in a lot of ways as opposed to like, you know, especially if you're listening to me, you might be like cleaning your car or driving. You could always like switch or go do something else. But when you see somebody mm -hmm. live or, or if it's visual, you're locked in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and very, it's a very different experience. You, um, so much of your stuff is so personal and it's stuff that really happened. Do you, when, when this stuff happens, um, first of all, are you always looking for things to happen? And second off, when something happens like the, the, uh, greeting card lady or stuff like that do you know when you're walking away that you've got something or does it take a while for that to sink in a uh, greeting card lady was still in front of me paying and i was writing down notes from yeah like it was just it was so i become so uber like so when you you know a good comic is observant and mm. i've went from being observant to the world to being observant of myself and a lot of myself is personal so i'm just i'm very uber aware and I, my, most of my jokes come, I always say like my jokes come from strong emotions, it's super mm -hmm. excited, super depressed, um, overjoyed, um, uh, completely, you know, angry, just totally confused, like these strong emotions. And so when I find myself in a strong emotion, I clearly have this moment where I almost kind of laugh at myself where I'm just like, I want to throw my computer through the window because I cannot log in to my gas yeah. bill yeah <laughs> like and, and just knowing that like knowing me i would be like fucking i don't need gas anymore like just fuck everything like i'm gonna burn my apartment to the ground and that'll be a gas bill like just this like i can see when i'm just being crazy and sometimes not even sometimes i would say 50 percent of the time i'm just talking to a girlfriend crying screaming venting about something that's going on and they are dying like they know me mm -hmm. and they know that it's okay that i'm crying about something and you know and they're like hey i know you're sad and i'm sorry you're sad but um just can you write that down you know what i'll write it down and i'll text it to you because i'm just <laughs> being my crazy self and i'm not even in comedy mode i'm just in i hate everything mode and my friends know enough to be like this is gold um uh -huh my my closer right now of my new hour uh it was some it, i went through a breakup i i broke up with my ex and he wrote me an email that made me crazy like just just a fucked up email and i called up my best friend um and i'm ranting to her just ranting and you know and i'm crying and it's just whatever whatever and then three days later she calls me up and she goes i think you need to write this down and she goes, I've said this to three people. You made this analogy while you were ranting. And I've said it to a couple of people that are like, that's brilliant. Like, that's hilarious. And that's brilliant. She's like, she's like, I don't exactly know what direction you would take it, but you should write it down. So I was like, what did I say? Like, I literally, it was like, she heard me, but I, did, I was just crying. Yeah. So I wrote it down and it just flowed out of me. And it's my closer. And it's, you know, it's not bump, bump, bump funny because clearly God knows I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to bump, bump, bump funny, but it is, it's a real journey. And it's, I wouldn't say it's like, I'm ending on my best joke. I would say I'm ending on my most uh, open joke mm -hmm. and, a, and, and just like an honest perspective of what it is to care about somebody and be all in and, and have them just not be able to be all in back. Right and what that and what that means and it's like very ranty and it's all over the place and i've had friends that have seen it live be like that's that could be like a one person show and mm -hmm. who knows but that's where i'm starting to feel safe you know i'm not famous you know but i have my fan base and people like what i do and i think both the pandemic and my latent success have made me feel safe enough to just 
be the comic I want to be. And that might not always be punch you in the face funny. It might just be, oh, shit, Uh funny. (laughs) When you have something that is so emotionally triggering and you make it into a joke, how are you able to compartmentalize? I can't say that word either. Compartmentalize. Yeah, what you said. How are you able to take that on stage and not let your true emotions come in and just totally fuck the whole thing up? I am letting my true emotions in. I'm angry. Okay. And you've I'm you, angry. you've you've put it completely out there and so it's just what So really what we the, hear the is real is the raw it's it's the raw emotion. The real question is how do you tap into that anger when you're not angry anymore? Yeah. Cuz the truth is the earlier versions of that, I'm I'm not acting. I'm mad. Uh-huh. It's been, I wrote that joke, my breakup was around this time last year, so I wrote that joke almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to polish it. I'm not really that angry anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm, I've, I've, I've healed, I've moved on, you know. Um, so really, in the beginning, I am being myself. I am feeling that pain and that hurt. Um, I often, I, I filter a lot through anger, mm-hmm. whether I'm sad or frustrated or confused or it just, it comes out a lot as anger um, to the point where like, this is a very yelly hour mm-hmm. and I'm working on it being a little less yelly, yeah. <laughs> um, being a little less myself. Um, but I think more importantly is, is the acting that then goes into a bit that I once felt completely and I don't feel anymore. Yeah. And that's also why it's important for me to turn over my hour because I don't, I don't, I'd rather everything be fresh and relatable both to myself and mm. to other people than do a bit about a breakup six years later. I don't care. Nobody else cares. Yeah. Move on. So with that being, so you're not angry anymore. And with that being a pivotal part of your new hour, do you need a little bit of quiet time to get back into that space before you start doing it? Do you, is there, is, what do, what really. do you do to trigger the anger? I mean, is it just you, you know what's coming? Trigger it. Yeah. yeah, the words trigger it. And just um, the pacing of it triggers it. Mm-hmm. It's um, the same way that, like, you have the same feeling when you listen to a song. Mm-hmm. You're, you know what I mean? You get really jazzed or you get really, like, fucking angry or you fucking just, you know what I mean? Like, there's great music to, like, work out to. There's great music to drive to. Yeah. It just puts you in that mood just saying the words put me in that mood mm-hmm. like this is such a ranty like like it's there and the, and there's certain ways that i use my inflection that just my voice going up triggers that or mm-hmm. just saying those words it's like certain words you know what I mean? the same way that if i say go fuck yourself mm-hmm. even if i don't mean for it to be angry that's an angry for ah, go yeah. fuck yourself like yeah, right you know what i mean my face scrunches up my, yeah. my nose gets all scrunchy mm-hmm. like you're you're in it. There's no way most people will not interpret that in any other way other than combative. The words are combative. The mm. feeling comes with it. And mm. so um and what's also nice is like, you know, some of these jokes like that joke is like a 4-minute joke. Mm. I really just do it, you know, I don't need to practice it anymore, so I usually just do it when I'm closing and I get excited about it again. I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is a really good joke. I love this mm-hmm. joke." <laughs> Good, good. I'm happy for you. Um, so the you you mentioned, and, and I'm sorry, I've been listening to different podcasts and stuff you've been on. Um, you mentioned that you're not much of a hanger. You don't like to hang, like after the show and stuff like that. Yeah. And yet you're a good networker because that's how you've gotten where where you are now. And I'm I'm very much the same way. I like to talk to comics like before a show, um, but after a show, I just want to go home because I'm done. And yeah, I'm spent. Yeah, work's done. And uh, um, how were you able? And 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 that's you know that's classic like introvert type of uh, type of behavior. Um, how were you able to force yourself into the business side of networking when it's really not a natural thing for you? Social media. I, mm. I don't I wouldn't be here without social media. I'm not clearly a drinker anymore. I have social anxiety. I'm 
we're not good at small talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's all these aspects to, and then also I, I didn't really have self-esteem or confidence in the sense that I'm just like, you need me. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so social media, I was able to network and do FaceTime and, and be in front of people without having to physically be there the same way a troll can tell you you're ugly and you should kill yourself and feel mm. nothing. I can right. be like, Hey, you need me to be on your show. I'm awesome and feel nothing, <laughs> you yeah. know? So, you know, there's, there's <laughs> positives and negatives to being faceless and not having to, to have this moment we're having right now. And uh -huh. I felt it helped me have a disconnect where I could, I didn't have to be there for the result. Like how many times, like I must be how guys feel asking somebody out where you're like, will you go out with me? And you're like, are they crying? Are they, uh -huh. are they gagging? What are they doing? <laughs> um, it's kind of the same way where you'd be like, oh, I'd love to be on your show. And you just see somebody roll their eyes or walk away from you. And, and that's painful. It's horrible. But yeah. you know, somebody not returning your email, you could justify that. Oh, you know, they get so many emails or maybe they missed it or maybe it went into yeah. their spam folder. Or maybe I, you know, they thought I was a different Liz, like whatever. And you find ways to justify um, that. Also, you can do more FaceTime from writing emails to social media. I can write 10 emails. I can only go to one or two parties. Yeah. Um, and then you have to get that person's attention, whatever. It was just easier. It was safer. Um, it was, I could get better at it, um, in a way I, I wasn't judged by having, you know, a cup of water at it. Like it just, it, everything about it was just easier and safer. And that, and uh -huh. that's, I give, you know, social media is absolutely evil. Um, and I, I believe that, but it's also the reason I have a career. So I'm, I'm equally as grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes me feel a little bit better because I, I, as far as the whole networking part, I'm just like, yeah, hi, I'm Scott. See you later. I'm done. And uh, <laughs> I don't have anything left for you. Um, you talk about the friends you've made, um, and a lot of them are in comedy. Uh, do you feel so first off, everybody thinks that uh, like in a certain scene or stuff like that, that all the comedians are friends and that we, we all hang together and uh, and that's absolutely not true whether there's some of them some of them we like and some of them we don't and um for me and i don't know if it's the same thing for you but uh, when you meet your potential friend it's almost like they're holding a billboard saying um i'm going to be your friend it, you, you you connect especially with comedians you connect immediately is that something that's uh happened with you yeah, I mean, most of my friends I met within a couple of years of doing stand-up in the open mic scene, and, and mm. we've been friends for over 15 years, and, I, you know, some of them I remember when we clicked, like, I remember the moment, um, my co-host, Maria Shahada, like, it, I saw her at a show, I thought she was funny, we ended up all getting food afterwards, we were reading the same book, and I kind of never let her go, like, yeah. she's moved, she keeps trying to leave, she moved to L.A., for eight years she's now in london like she keeps getting further and further and i was like you can't you can't get rid of me um okay um and then like i was talking to my friend adrian appalucci actually this week and i was like she brought up some venue and i go did i meet you at that venue she's like i think i think we both met, we met each other because we were supporting another comic and she was like which is crazy because i never supported anybody like i was just i was so not social so it was even crazy that I was there. And I was like, same. I was like trying to be more social and be supportive. And then I saw her at a show and then somehow we became close, but I don't remember how it happened. Um, but I, my friends are also how I've survived this business. Like I would be, no, I wouldn't have, it, this business is so hard. Both first, it's just hard because you're like lost and there's no, rules and comedy you know nobody gives a fuck about you and and it's just it's just like a sea of traps and you just don't understand it and then even when you start to understand comedically what what you're doing what's funny people are accepting it there's the whole business side which is a whole other set of traps and 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 frustrations and i having people that get get it have been through it um are going through it with you it's it's um i don't know how people like I don't know how people would do this alone. It's it's a really really mm. hard business, and I'm grateful that I met some incredible people, and I also know that I wouldn't be here without them. Mm -hmm. 
I've been asking a lot of um, the same question to a lot of comics. I'm going to take out the one part of it because when I ask a comic what the worst piece of advice they got, nobody wants to talk about it because it, it, it brings up bad memories. What's the best piece of advice you got from a comic when you were coming up? Um, it's There's never, like, any advice that, like, blows your mind or anything. It's To me, it was all about when it was. Um, I used to one of the first people that believed in me was this comic named Jim Mandrinos and he used to bring me on the road and I was, I don't know, maybe 19 or 20 and he was driving me back home and we're almost at my apartment and he stopped kind of short of my street and he goes, I wanted to talk to you. And I was like, Oh no, I'm in trouble. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm literally like, he's gotta be at least 20 years, my senior. And I'm like, Oh man, I fucked up at the gig. I did something wrong. I'm going to get fired somehow. Like, yeah. and he goes, have you been writing? And I go, I mean, yeah. He goes, it doesn't seem like you have anything new. And I got really defensive. Like, I got really, I was like, I'm in college and I'm busy and da 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 da. And he's like, all right, all right. He's just like, it just, you know, your growth, both in getting better at this, but also your ability to do other things is from writing. And it, it, it just seems like you need to keep writing. And I was really mad at him because it was mm -hmm. like, you know, fuck you. You know, you know, I was at a place in my life where like you could, I, you couldn't critique me in any sense, even from a, a kindness. And he was absolutely being kind and looking out for yes. me. Yeah. And it, it took me about probably about a week. And I got really sad because he was right. I wasn't writing. I was just mm -hmm. kind of resting on my laurels and what I was doing was working and I wasn't challenging myself. And he is the reason I started like a new system where I wanted, I kind of figured out how long would it take me to write like a new 20 minutes? And I was like, okay, if I write in like how long it, I started to kind of understand the mathematics of my own system and be like, okay, it takes me this long to polish a joke. And if I work on two to three jokes at the same time, I could write, you know, three new jokes every two months and like whatever. And I could have a new hour in two years. Like I was doing all this kind of stuff. And I started to write down every time I tried a new joke and I forced myself to always be trying new jokes. And it was all because he made me acutely aware that I was kind of resting and I wasn't challenging mm -hmm. myself. And now I don't need that system. I use that system for years. Now it's just kind of innate that I, I need to always be working on new stuff. And it's my favorite. And it made me realize it's my favorite part is the challenge to the point where when the pandemic happened, um, the only thing I wanted to work on was new stuff. I don't want to do my old stuff in a shitty Zoom show. I'm going to get the not laughs that I deserve to get. It just didn't yeah. feel good. So I wanted to work on new stuff. And I came out of the pandemic with the new 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it was all because I started a new material show. I brought three new jokes every single, probably every two weeks because uh, things started to slow down. And there's a bunch of new material shows in the city that I always sign up for. Um, any bar show, I always do new material at. If you don't pay me, you're not getting my best stuff. I don't want to tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll take a dump on your stage. I don't care. And it's, it's, I think it's what sets me apart from like, I'm in my community known for somebody that always has new material and who's always writing. And I completely give my friend so much credit. It was such a important time for that shift and for me mm -hmm. to be kind of um, parented in, in that kind of sorts. Uh -huh. So uh, I, I know Jim, and you uh, you totally encapsulated who he is. Everything he says comes out of kindness, but he's very blunt yeah, about it. Yeah, he's so. a good dude. He's a really good dude. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of me a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that, that's good. Um, so if uh, folks want to find you, um, tell me a little bit about the what you've got going on and also the podcast. Uh, yeah. So uh, podcast is two non-doctors. It's with Maria Shahada, who I mentioned, um, American, but based in London now. Um, so we have a weekly podcast where we talk about medical stuff with little to no accuracy, um, mm -hmm. mostly comedy, a little bit of health. Um, yeah. And then I have a book called Why Cats Are Assholes that came out um, March of 2021. So a couple months ago mm -hmm. um, that you can buy and enjoy. Um, I'm touring. I'm uh, going to be in Oklahoma City and all over Texas um, getting COVID, I guess. Um, I'm fully vaccinated and wearing 17 masks um, and yeah. going to, I guess, not get an abortion. 
Um, so I will be out in Texas. I've, I've got a mask on my desk and I'm in my apartment. Yeah, no, so. I'm just like, look down and I'm just holding 15 masks. Um, yeah. but, um, so touring Texas, I'm, and I have a bunch of other, I'm touring, um, the next couple of months and then hopefully I'll have, um, be able to put out my, everything's kind of backlogged. So I don't know what's going to happen with my next hour, but, um, it's, it's, it's ready. Um, yeah. But yeah, and um, everything you can find everything at, at Liz Mealy. So um, at Liz Mealy on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. It's all it's all at Liz Mealy, and um, a lot of lot of cat pictures. So I always tell people not to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I love cats. Yeah, yeah, it's, my, it's a yeah. small group of people that are willing yeah. to take in my comedy and my cats. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I really, really enjoyed having you on the show, and uh, I, 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 I enjoy your comedy immensely because it, it is different, and it's uh, very personal, and uh, even though I'm uh, a 57-year-old guy, I totally relate to a lot of it, so yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really good stuff, and I wish you the best. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.